Hi everyone and welcome back to the Palmer Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. And uh, I am delighted, uh, honoured really, to welcome uh, Chad Jarnigan to the show today uh, again. And um, we talked in we talked in February um, and that was before, um, obviously, COVID and everything that's happened since then. And that episode will have gone out earlier this week. And we felt like it was it would be nice to kind of almost bookend that episode with an episode that's kind of almost on the other side, well, although we're still in it technically. Um, but with the benefit of those six, eight months um, and reflecting on that and, and where we are. So welcome back to the show, Chad. James, thanks for having me back, man. Um, it's always great to have you here. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've been through a, a lot the last few months. We've, we've. I mean, it's almost too much to to to, to count back, um, or even to remember, because we've had so much happen. Obviously, the pandemic and all the consequences of that, um, and the catastrophic handling of that um, in our respective countries. <laughs> Um, we've had, you know, racial violence, racial murders, and the response to that. Um, some of that's still continuing. Obviously, systemic racism is an ongoing problem uh, in both of our countries again, um, and things just keep happening. Um, we're kind of a week out from the death of Chadwick Boseman. We've had other prominent people die as well um, and it's just been a long grief experience a, a collective trauma um, so what are your kind of reflections on the last few months and, and what's been happening well it certainly seems uh, fitting to look at the metaphor of the wilderness right um, this, this idea of being uh, in a famine of uh, and lots of death and barrenness and heaviness and um, grief and so much you know just it's just so heavy and uh, most of the people that I've been speaking with over the last few weeks of kind of reemerging into society is uh, I hear the same thing from everyone so there's so much. Uh, beauty kind of emerging out of that solidarity. Um, one of the biggest things that I'm processing right now is how how empathy and compassion are really fruits of our beliefs. And uh, void of these traits kind of represent a void of our beliefs. Mm. If, uh, and we see, we see that, I think, in uh, many different capacities in our respective societies, our culture, uh, even worldwide. And, you know, this need of uh, what a lot of people, have, uh, just from uh, the book um, that I wrote, re- released back in February that we talked about, and, and how some of those aspects of slowing down our pace of life and simplifying um, different postures uh, and being very intentional about how we live, uh, yeah, so like the slow, patient grace, uh, I think what I mentioned to you is 
that slow, patient grace that we should actually be giving to ourselves and to one another. Uh, that's some of the biggest things I'm pondering right now. And those are, those are really large. They're the vast. And, but that empathy and compassion of how we treat one another during these days, I think, is, is how we heal one another. It's how we heal our world. And it's got to be the way that we move forward. So, I mean, there's so much more to that, but that's really what I've been living in. Yeah, I know you're right. Um, yeah, because we're, we're all carrying so much. Mm. And many of us don't realize we're carrying it. Um, or, you know, or we're carrying it, we don't know what it is because we've never mm. experienced it before. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> The word unprecedented is kind of the word of the year, isn't it? Um, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who have never processed the trauma and grief that they've, they've carried, even before now, before this yeah. year. Uh, and now they've got more, to, more that they're carrying and not processing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've reflected on a lot during this period is that it is so important that you know, as we hopefully come out of this period into next year, will be how we process our grief, how yeah. we respond to our grief. Will we go back to the way of kind of ignoring it, numbing it, trying to control it, trying to build structures around it? You know, are we going to put securities up like a steady job or having a home or religious certainty or some kind mm. of addiction are we going to or are we actually going to lean into it and face up to it because I believe uh, from my own experience that when we do that we can find transformation mm, absolutely yeah that's well said don't you think our um, exhaustion and fatigue these days seems palatable Hmm. You know, um, I think that that's essentially what we're we're both getting at is that we need a sabbatical from 2020. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the the world's tired. The the world is sick. Um, as we speak, California is literally burning. Um, uh, that's nothing new. We have wildfires more and more every day thanks to the climate crisis, and uh, so it's it's even the planet is groaning. You know, so I know that that sounds very um, hopeless, and a lot of people get overwhelmed with all of this thought of of pandemics and um, visible racism and unrest and planet um, groaning. Um, but this is our reality, you know. Um, so it is how how do we lean into a a, a new way forward? How do we find all of the information that we ingest on a momentary basis, and how do we lead that to um, not just being information, but how does it become transformation? And uh, what do we do with that? I read, you know, I believe you probably know this just from the book alone, but I'm a, a huge Henry Nouwen um, mm. advocate. Um, I think his ally... Uh, his works is, are just ally to many of us today. Um, yeah. I think he his his heart for inclusivity, his heart for 
um, the outcast, I think, um, the marginalized, the oppressed, um, was quite beautiful. And it was, it just, uh, sometimes it screams off of his pages. And I wrote something down, um, just in my, uh, morning uh, contemplation about, uh, and I think that it was a quote, and I'm probably misquoting it, but it's this concept of, um, our identity and our spiritual identity means that we are not what we do. Um, we, we're not what people say about us. Um, we are not what we have, but we are truly at the end of the day, just beloved daughters and sons of God. And, uh, wherever we find ourselves and our differences and our hurts and our pains, our joys, and our celebrations, uh, we are but beloved humans that our creator made. And uh, if we would just kind of rest in that, we would probably look at each other uh, a little differently. And uh, I think that would bring some beauty back into the world. Um, that's how I'm processing right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very beautiful way of looking at things. It feels like somehow we need to just strip everything away and just mm. simplify it all. Um, mm. There's so much noise and so many voices and speaking over each other uh, I've used the metaphor yeah. before of social media of it being like a like a um, yeah the, what, what do they call it where, the stock market you know like the, the pit where everyone's just shouting over each other all the time, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and nobody can hear anyone. And some people have taller chairs than others, you know, and stand on those <laughs> chairs. But but nobody's listening, uh, yeah. and yeah. we need to listen to each other. We well, people are so rash to people make judgments about people without mm-hmm. listening to their story, mm-hmm. and we just uh, sometimes they feel like we overcomplicate things. Um, and that yeah. might sound a bit naive, I guess, but it feels like sometimes we overcomplicate things. Yeah, we do. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious uh, on occasion. Sometimes it's more revealing than others. You know, I think it's that uh, it's how we treat one another is, you know, we treat one another the way we see how we see the world, right? And it really, I, I was thinking about this process of our realities of online visibility and voice now and how the way we treat one another online may very well just reveal more about who we are at our core, um, more so than how we treat a person in person, mm-hmm. like someone in person, yeah. because it can really unearth the best and the very worst of us. Yeah. Um, when you stand in front of a person or you're sitting at a bistro, Sitting across the table from you know your mate having a you know a macchiato, that type of uh, facade that we can put on or soften our shell and our core is more of a, a default. It, that's what we do. But when we're behind a screen, our truest self can kind of be presented in a way of maliciousness. Or we can be the most kind and empathetic person. So we can have the best and the worst of us kind of be revealed behind a screen. And I think we just see that on a daily basis. 
you know, um, these days. And, and again, with the solidarity and, you know, our empathy and compassion, if we don't lead with that, um, man, that's, that's making the world um, a more hopeless place than, than it is a hopeful place because uh, the world's quite beautiful. I wish you could see what I'm looking at right now. I have this beautiful window in my office and uh, I have a beautiful tree in front of me and I can see the blue sky. There's not a cloud in the sky here in Tennessee right now and the humidity's low and I have the top off of my Jeep. It's it's just beautiful. so much beauty. Um, but if I drive that Jeep um, one mile from my road here, I will take it through a construction zone, and it will be the most loud, clanging, dirty. Um, I'll probably have some nails and screws in my tires. Um, it, it's just fascinating. But from here, I can't see that. Uh, so and I think we just need to focus a little bit more on Yes, there is a reality of a really hurting and dirty and gritty world, but we need to find some beauty and rest in that in the moment um, so that we can have the courage and the empathy and compassion to face the, that oppression and that grief and that uh, trauma that we're all experiencing, you know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier, which was you know, taking that time, taking space just mm-hmm. pausing long enough to listen mm-hmm. and it really makes a difference I, I can't yeah. that's what I mean when last we came when we got the news about Chadwick that, that's kind of what I did I just I just put my phone down and I just sat back um, against the wall like on my bed against the wall and I just sat against the wall and just sat there and just let myself feel it and let myself cry and um, and actually it was really really therapeutic and it allowed me then to come back and to be encouraging encouraging to others and have some solidarity and give some wisdom not stuff from my experience about grief you know yeah. just by taking that little time and yeah. um we're always so busy, you know, we're always rushing around trying to do the next mm-hmm. thing and we just don't I think just take a take a moment. Uh and it's, it's yeah. sad that the world's got like that, really. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, Maria Montessori said uh growth is not merely a harmonious increase in size, but a transformation. Well, I like and that I quote. think what she means in that is such um, opportunity for us to to lean into one another, um, to lean into our humanity. Where we see a brother or sister down, um, we can be aware enough in our slowing of pace to look and actually see them. Right? Um, mm. To have a moment when we get the news of Chadwick's death to just pause and go and feel it for a moment and to be I never met the man no. but how deeply impacting his work will always be 
um, it just screamed off of the off the screen. Yeah. And um, you know, and my we have three sons, and two of them we had to talk about it when the news broke. You know, we have a ten year old and a twelve year old. We had to talk with them about it, and our ten year old began to cry. Mm. And uh, and sitting with him, I I just held him. I said, I know that we've never met this guy, but it seems like we've lost someone of substance, of of uh, mm. of importance for our cultures. Yeah, and uh, and we just owned it. You know, we just kind of sat there with it and. And that's what's so beautiful in that moment when we can shed tears for someone that we've never met. How much more should we empathize and bestow compassion upon those who we've been in the same room or been in the same city with, much less our homes? Mm. Um, and, uh, and that's easier said than done, but it seems that there's an opportunity Um here, if we can slow down enough and pay attention to what's really important, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and that that is an interesting moment. That was an interesting moment because I felt the same. It was mm. like I never met him, but I knew him, and I knew even without reading any of the stories that came out afterwards, I just yeah. you knew you felt in 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 your in your soul that this something that this guy mattered that something that he mm. had a legacy that he had been someone of a significance that had done great things and yeah. we didn't even yeah. know some of those things until after he passed away um, yeah. one of the mm. most amazing things that he did was fight cancer for four years while doing probably his greatest work yeah and nobody knew and he was visiting cancer hospitals and he was smiling and doing interviews and um, you know encouraging others and inspiring others mm. and and stuff and all this all that time he was doing treatments and mm. fighting this disease and almost yeah. it almost felt like for me that he he almost when he got the diagnosis it somehow gave him a sense of perspective of like I want to make sure that the time I have I don't waste a moment yeah of yeah. it um, and what a beautiful human yeah <laughs> what a beautiful human he yeah. was he was a beautiful human yeah um, yeah. yeah see we're both kind of feeling that so it's um, and uh and yeah, I guess when I felt, when I experienced that, it was just, for me, it was almost like, can we have no more of this? Please, this mm. is yeah. enough, like, yeah. for this year, like, in the nicest possible way, you know? Yeah, like, totally. I actually found myself tweeting, like, how long, like, mm. how long, oh Lord, is this going to go on? Yeah, you yeah, know? I definitely have Bono on my head, you know? Um, just singing that Psalm 40 <laughs> just how long do we sing this song uh, it's yeah it, it's been interesting watching one another though even how we resonate um, in this solidarity around Chadwick's death 
Um, it seems like human beings may, we may not always get along, um, but the fact is it seems that, um, that we can't get enough of one another as well um, in some regards. Mm. Like, and I, I read this uh, not long ago, and it's the, there are, there are more than, was it seven billion humans now? Yeah. I believe there's something like that, right? So there's, so there's seven billion of us on this planet. Um, but we only inhabit 10% of the actual land. And that's roughly 50% of us. That's half of 7 billion people living on just 1% of that land. Wow. And that that's something that's fascinating to me. And now, granted, I'm a five on the Enneagram. I am a research nerd. I'm always wanting to find more. I want to hear about what somebody has to say about this so that it's, uh, in a way, it's a part of my exegeting of anything. So yeah. I can exegete culture, whether it's scripture, whether it's philosophy. And uh, then I want to hear someone who has spent a decade researching. I want to hear their findings. And that's um, that's comes from, I think, our our need for one another, whether we know it or not. And um, I just think we see that when we resonate with a human that whose life has expired, especially too soon, um, mm-hmm. where we know that I mean, there's so many we could just point to, and uh, that we all kind of it surprised us, you know, and. Um, it's just fascinating because it feels like that quote from Brendan Manning that I resonate with so deeply um, when we see one another and when we see one another's reflection in another human, um, that's really, we have to realize that healing our image of God actually heals the image of ourselves. Hmm. And that's something that I feel like takes a lot of time and a lot of contemplation and reflection to fully allow space for that to seep into the deepest parts of us. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's... that's, You're right. You're right. Um, we learning to see the divine in each other. Mm. And learning to see it's again. It's coming back to that taking a moment, pausing for a moment, listening, mm. Um, mm-hmm. having your eyes open to the divine in all things. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I learned from grief and recovering from grief and was actually to just be able to see joy or beauty even in the midst of despair. Because when I I went through a massive childhood trauma uh, and then lost a parent, you know, I'd been through about 10, 15 years of trauma by the time I was 25, you know. And 
something happens when you when that happens to, to you. It, 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 it kind of gives you this kind of sense of some things are worth getting annoyed about and some things are not getting worth getting annoyed about. And let's just be fully present in now and see the beauty in now. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is a sense of that sometimes that I've noticed other people get worked up about things that I that I don't get worked up about at all uh, anymore. And mm. and my sister's the same, you know, because obviously we went through the same thing. And yeah. we have this different perspective. It just gives you, it just shapes you in a way that you can't really describe it unless some to somebody unless they've actually been through it. It's um, it's an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah, trauma and pain, especially loss, is uh, very formative. You know, especially you said um, when you were in your mid twenties, twenty five. Yeah, well, I lost my mother at twenty three, and I had a I had a kind of childhood trauma which went basically through my teenage years. So, yeah, um, so that was kind of two big traumas before I was twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, and that that will form. You know your your future adulthood. You know, yeah, and it those did. Things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my uh, my first death that I experienced um, personally that was very traumatic and hard for me uh, was 16, and it was my grandfather. And um, and then and what I didn't know what was happening there was I would have a long line of of death and um, close family members. That that was just the first of many to come, and uh, so that it does something to you that others don't yet until they experience it. But it gives you it, it stirs in you a deep empathy uh, for others when they deal with it. And and I think, man, there's so much wisdom in what you were saying that you when you experience those types of things between you know your teenage years and your twenties, and and I, let's be honest. In your thirties and forties. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they yeah, there yeah. are there are so many opportunities for us to um, see perspectives, mm. and where I would say the smaller, more minuscule things just you just kind of dismiss a little easier, and then when some or when someone's speaking of something that they can't see past. And our perspective is, that's, and I know that's that stinks right now, but you'll, you'll get past this. Just and you give them encouragement, and then when they get past it, they're like, "Oh, that wasn't, that was nothing." Um, mm. And it's like, well, no, you know, I think it's good for us to empathize with someone's small hurdle. May seem like a mountain to them, yeah, because they've might. never experienced maybe some of the things that we've experienced. So if they were to face the type of opportunity uh, or invitation, I would say, when, when death presents itself, it gives you an invitation to perspective. If someone has that happen to them when they uh, are at their weakest or their lowest, um, that can be past traumatic. It can be devastating. And some people don't recover. Um, mm. from losing a parent uh, in their 30s. Mm. It's, a, um, it's it's not normal yeah. to lose your parent in your 20s or your 30s. You know, when you no, get to your 40s, not. maybe, yeah, you can start to see that. But 20s and 30s yeah. is a 
no, that's not meant to happen. Um, it's not. And you know, my my father passed. Um, uh, it was in my thirties. We had we were um, expecting our first child, and um, he never had a chance to meet him. And that was something in the moment that didn't you know, I didn't give much thought to, but after the fact and then even uh, he just turned 12 years old and I did a special trip with him before all of the pandemic stuff and um, I had a moment where I just jumped back to my father's death and lamenting all the things that we weren't able to do we weren't very close um, we didn't grow up in the same hall my parents were divorced uh, many times over with different um, partners and um, hmm. But that has so much effect on you when you have an absence of experience um, that you wish that you kind of had, and uh, that it was just a—it's a sneaky thing. It's a subversiveness that comes with reflecting back on something that you had hoped for, and um, but all of that has helped me to be more sensitive to those who are now, you know, struggling with their parents' death or what it's going to be like when their parents mm, are yeah. um, that, yeah, that is just, that's just something that uh, takes some experience to, uh, to know how to hold it. Yeah, and I, that's one of the things that I've, as I've gone through grief and processed it in a healthy way, is, mm-hmm. like, you know, one day my friends are going to lose their parents and I'm going to be able to come alongside them and just sit with them and just, be whatever they need me to be, yeah. and, uh, and that's beautiful. Yeah, and it is. It's it's almost a, it's almost a, it's almost therapeutic um, mm. to be able to turn your pain to something that's healing for other people. Yeah, is is a gift. It's a it's a you know that's why I'm that's why when writing the book that I'm working on, which is about grief and and unhealthy or healthy responses to grief is going to be part of that process part of my grieving in a way um so um yeah yeah it's yeah and i yeah and i'm also aware of the fact that my dad is in his 70s and he has parkinson's disease and you know he's at risk and um so i'm aware of of, of that um, but also knowing that I will probably process that better than I dealt that with the death of my mother. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah well, your book is going to bring a lot of solace to a lot of people, and I think that that's going to be, um, uh, man, to to steward what you what you have on paper and your and your writing, and you put it out in the world. Um, you have no idea who is going to read those pages. And yeah. when they are going to read those pages, um, and we need more good in the world, and uh, we need to reveal beauty that's that's there already that uh, some of us just don't have the uh, way of seeing it. And books like that that you're working on um, will help that. And uh, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, all of us. yeah, I'm I'm excited to to write it. I've it's taking a while, but it's taking its time. But but you know, um, that's how things are with writing. I think. 
yeah. they come as they come so mm-hmm. yeah but I mean creativity is a great outlet to process trauma generally mm. yeah um, I'm a great believer in that um, I've said before there's I think there's some research that suggests that people who journal their emotions regularly um, not are healthier not just physically not just mentally and emotionally but physically um, mm-hmm. it actually improves your physical health um, your body processes stuff better like your liver works better or kidneys work better so um, I always encourage people to do that when they're to process their grief and again and we all create in, a, in our own way we all have our own creative outlet whatever it is uh, but yeah yeah um, I mean how how is your relationship with with God with the divine changed or been impacted by what's happened in the last few months I have been in some strange places some familiar places some unfamiliar places with that um you get to question a lot when you, you see the world playing out in ways that you disagree with or that you are disturbed by. Uh, the way we see the world is, the in a way, is how we see the divine. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ignatian spirituality would say, you know, we should strive to see all things in God and, and God in all things. Which is, you know, a very Eastern capacity as well, to see the divine in one another, you know, namaste. And, um, I feel like in a, in a post-COVID world, we equate our loneliness with whatever we're holding on to in the moment. And, and that's going to be different for everyone. Well, um, but loneliness is going to be pervasive. Um, for me, I have to have a lot of space to think and meditate and be without an agenda, without a plan, without a book. Uh, I have to have my books as well, but... I think in that stillness and in that listening, that's been listening as a as an active posture, not just a passive. I think a lot of people think listening is passive, where we just tune everything out and go into a uh, a state of of nothingness. Um, for me, I that's where I sense the divine in that stillness and in that listening. Um, and the most beautiful and hopeful thing I sense in that is that I'm not looking for answers. Mm. I'm just looking for presence. Mm. And uh, that's that's been a bit of my experience over the last few months. Even if it's a moment where I just have to go outside and just feel the breeze of the air whether it's hot and humid or whether it's beautiful and cool, um, it gives me a sense of uh, otherness. And uh, I feel like I'm still trying to um, 
wrestle through that. And also this this idea of I'll chase this rabbit and I'll come back to this. I think you'll you'll appreciate this. Is that what some want to believe in like conspiracy theories um, mm. because they really can't bear the weight of the reality. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, right. So we want, or they choose to ignore it. I don't know which is worse, but fabricating a narrative doesn't make it real. And a lot of my um, non-believing or say atheist friends, which I feel like are the majority these days, especially agnostic, um, they you know that's what they see in any religious jargon. They say we're just fabricating, you know, fabricating a new narrative that's not real. Either. And uh, it's like perhaps from your perspective. However, I can't explain the peace that I sense, which truly from my faith says there's a peace that that isn't to be understood, uh, that passes all comprehension and understanding. And so that for me has been the solace of stillness, of seeing uh, a, a, a rising of empathy and compassion with one another. Um, even when I see someone that I completely disagree with, um, I have a sense of compassion that comes over me to say, I wonder if they've ever had a conversation that could change their mind. Mm. I wonder if they've ever even been open to that, or would they rather stand on their lawn pointing a, a gun at someone mm. um, that they disagree with? And, you know, we have that image. There's just so much of that over the last... Uh, and we're in an election year here. Uh, the whole world, there's not a life form on Earth that doesn't know it. Um, but in that sense, there's been more and more opportunity to divide ourselves because of what we differ and how we differ. It's not the same 2020. It's not the same as it was in the 2000s or the, um, the 1990s. That's as far back as I can go um, election um, knowledge-wise. But it, it was all very different then. It was all very civil and policy differences. Um, now what we have seen, um, the occupant um, and his rhetoric, um, I don't say his name anymore, um, what I see is a very dangerous rhetoric that turns humans against humans mm. and um, for political gain. And... Um, no one else has really done that in modern times uh, in the U.S. Yeah. Um, there's definitely certainly been differences and things like that, but um, they, they've been policy-driven or the way we see the world, mm. and which is worldview, right? That's the way we see our world. When you are a person of wanting and desiring universal health care, you are one that is saying, I want to see the world take care of one another. And mm. if that means that we spend less here so that that can happen, let's do that. Um, and I think that that's, uh, it's easier to look across the table from one another and empathize because of a real proper narrative uh, when we can speak about watching someone that couldn't pay for their health care who's no longer with us. 
but we have an extra 20 jets for a fleet because that was needed. Um, hmm. it, it, those kinds of things um, are very combustible when you're talking with people that differ uh, from one another. But if we truly have a, a faith or say a, a faith and belief in divine, then in every religious aspect of any religion here that I am somewhat familiar with, they will all say, but you're supposed to take care of one another. Hmm. Your neighbor is a neighbor for a reason. Yeah. And sometimes when they can't do something, maybe you should because you could. Yeah. And that's, I think, way we're seeing our beliefs on display. And um, the history books are going to, if that's even going to be a thing um, in the future, our history tablets are going to remember 2020 and the last few years with um, harsh judgment as, as it should. Yeah. Um, and what uh, we were talking about um, climate change and things like this is uh, I have a lot of friends that are say somewhat um, politically conservative and they can, they can honestly say they've never experienced this type of uh, global change in the last five to 10 years. Um, we almost had two hurricanes blowing into the, the Gulf of Mexico here um, at the same time. That's actually never happened before. Um, sea levels are rising at a unprecedented speed. The ice is decreasing on a daily basis in Greenland and the Arctic. There's all these things that just point to this is not just science, it's a childlike acknowledgement. Yeah. And uh, I, I think when we see all of that playing out, it helps us to, you know, okay, what can we do to take care of one another in this? Because now we're, we're not talking about one another face-to-face. We're saying, how can I help take care of your great-grandchildren? How can you look after my great grandchildren and uh, that's the type of thing that I would like to see us see um, more belief in one another and um, rather than um, cynicism and the us versus they kind of thing I wish we could comprehend the idea is we it's not Mm -hmm. they Um, so that sounds like a, a bit of a soapbox it probably is um, but my, I think my faith kind of um, guides and convicts that, um, for better or for worse. Mm. No, I, I agree with what you're saying. Everything you're saying, um, there is, there's so much going on in the world. Uh, mm. So much. It's not just the pandemic. It's not just. Um, politics in the US and the UK because yeah. we have a serious problem here and we don't have elections for four years uh, and things are going to get worse because um, our leaders are intent on taking us out of 
you're without a deal and that's going to just be a catastrophe for the poorest people in this country um and yeah and there is such a need for for change here and Mm. i feel that i i I see some i see some grains of hope but uh the problem is there isn't an election for four years (laughs) um uh, so um that's the only thing that's getting in the way of that but but yeah i and the weird the weird thing for me is my personal relationship with the divine has struggled always actually mm-hmm. um understandably because of what happened to me when I was younger. My sense of Jesus is more intimate and close than ever because i I resonate with his humanity and his trauma and his grief and mm. um all the things yeah. that he went through. Uh, and I feel very close to, to Jesus in that, that sense but one of the things that I've learned from the journey that I've been on is things always get worse before they get better mm-hmm. and when they do get really really bad they tend to get better after that there is a mm-hmm. there is a point where things cannot get worse uh, and and it's just this uncanny sense of mine that this is that's what we're going through yeah. And I don't know how it resolves itself and how long it takes or uh, what it looks like. Um, that's all I can cling to. And I don't find it every day. Sometimes I I can't. Sometimes I can't I can't hold on to that. Sometimes it's just too difficult. Sometimes it's overwhelming. You know, uh, but but I do sense that when I when I pause enough and reflect enough. Um yeah, there's just yeah. there's that unknown of how how does this turn out? What what will happen next? None of us knows. You can't predict. Nobody can predict what's going to happen anymore. Yeah, there's almost nothing that could happen now that could surprise me. You know, because yeah. we could have aliens walking on the earth in front of our very eyes, and nobody would be shocked anymore. Yeah. You know, it was so. we very well made. <laughs> <laughs> we already may be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, so what, just to kind of finish, because this has been a really great conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed um, this. Yeah, so have I. Uh, what is it that brings you hope right now? Where are you finding or seeing even just the remotest grain of hope? Mm. I think that's interesting because in my day-to-day, um, as a as an Anglican priest and as a you know spiritual director and um, a researcher, I, I feel that we're in a we're in a need. We have a desperate need for hope, you know, right now. So if if we can possibly to echo some of our earlier sentiments. Um, slow down enough to to then pay attention to everything around us. Um, that's not just the bad. That's not just the the tragedies, and that's actually the good. There there is goodness around us. There are beautiful people, beautiful organizations, beautiful art, and lots of hope around us 
But if we are driving or running at a breakneck speed, we're not, we're never going to see that hope. We're just going to look at to the next thing and be fatigued and exhausted mm. getting there, and and hope that we will get some rest and peace at some point. And I believe that hope kind of brings peace. You know, we mentioned Christ. Like the fact is that Jesus came to set captives free. If, if you wanted to simplify, maybe oversimplify the gospel, it was that he came to set captives free. Those enslaved by ourselves, from uh, he set people free from oppressive systems, the poison of disruptive and combustible politics, to our own ridiculous decisions and I see hope in us getting to the bottom of our lives uh, in our society our cultures like you said I, I see hope in us getting to the place of the only place we have to go is up and uh, when we actually see the hope that humanity is um together in this and what unites us is more than what divides us we will transcend the year of 2020 we will transcend its death its peril its ineptitude and it's us versus them and i have a hope that we will unearth um our we again and, um, and of course, that just starts with each of us, right? Mm. But that's my hope. I love that. That's yeah. really right. This has been a really great conversation. Um, I feel like we could probably continue to to chat. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll have you back again. Um, yeah, we can always do that, and whether we're recording it or not. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. So, um, thank you, Chad, and um, thanks for listening, everybody.